Welcome, everybody. It's the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and I'm hoping my buddy Seth is out there. Seth? Hey, how you doing? Happy Friday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Snow is falling here in New Hampshire, unfortunately. It's been a real uh, crazy winter with 60-degree temperatures followed by day of snow, followed by 60-degree temperatures. The weather can't make up its mind. But How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, it's, we're, we haven't had the snow like you guys have, but it's supposed to be cold this weekend. Um, and then spring will be right around the corner. Let's hope. Let's hope. No. I'm looking forward to it. Spring, my, my daughter's coming home for spring break today from college, her first year, her first spring break. I'm so happy she didn't tell me she wanted to go to Daytona Beach or something. <laughs> she, deci- she decided to... She decided to come home. <laughs> yeah, spring break in Brookline, New Hampshire. Oh yeah, rock and roll. <laughs> Living it up. So uh, we've got a guest with us today uh, on the phone with us. We've got James Stanger. James works with us at CompTIA, and he's the Senior Director of Products, which means he oversees the certifications that CompTIA builds and delivers to IT professionals. And uh, by way of being involved with those certifications. He also gets involved in our training and uh, speaking to uh, IT professionals and understanding what they need to do. So we are very pleased to have him today. Welcome, James. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for, uh, you, to you two to having me on board here. Yeah. How's the, how's yeah, the weather out there where you are? You know, it's not so much the fire and ice that you're dealing with, uh, oh. uh, but it's uh, it. We have had record rain, and think of it this way: I'm in the Seattle, uh, Washington area. Uh, we're known for our rain. Trust right. me. You know, we export it worldwide, and uh, we're having record rain here. It's been interesting to see the ground saturated. Uh, I had to put the car into four wheel drive yesterday just to drive to, into town. Oh. <laughs> it just wow. about floated, just about floated away on me, so it, it was a good time. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Given that you pretty much you're pretty much known as the epicenter of heavy rain in this country, so if you're if you're saying uh, it's excessive, then it must really be excessive. It's big time. We got a lot of trees down. In fact, I still have one down in my backyard. So if anybody on this uh, on on this podcast is looking for some instrument quality maple, let me know. I can <laughs> ship it to you. So. <laughs> it's a huge tree down in my backyard. Oh well, that, that's a spring project for you. Indeed. So, James, I know that one of the things that you've been super focused on in the past year is security. And this week, uh, we had one big security thing that we wanted to talk about uh, with the WikiLeaks, letting everyone know how much the CIA has been tapping into their devices. Uh, And I think the story has changed as the week has gone on. But what has your take been out of that when when it first landed and, and now to where the story has evolved a little bit? You know, anecdotally, we've been seeing a lot, hearing a lot of things over the last couple of years about hardware-based hacks and firmware hacks. And people are like, what do you mean hardware attacks or hardware hacks? In other words, it's not that people are going after operating systems anymore or even applications. They're going right after the firmware. And so what's interesting with the with the WikiLeaks CIA hack, there are stories about basically how all of our televisions now can be turned into microphones by the CIA or by hackers, if you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, all, I think most of us have some sort of flat screen TV at home. And uh, when we turn it off, is it really off? Right, because there's still a, a glowing red button or a blue button or something that you see on the TV, which means there's an electronic signal in there, which means that there is potential for it to be turned on quickly, and that's great. But there's also potential for that thing to be run by somebody else, and I think that's one of the one of the many lessons about this uh, uh, this CIA hack 
is that many of the devices that we see, uh, the the whoever the attacker is, whether it be somebody in the CIA or the NSA or somebody from some foreign country or wherever, we're seeing a lot of different ways in which all of these devices are being attacked. And I think it comes down to how do you want to put it, the, how securely the hardware and the software and the firmware. I think that's the that's the key. How well and securely developed are all of these different IoT devices that are in our lives? It seems to me that it's going to be just a constant game of patching and then hacking and patching and hacking and patching and and vulnerabilities. I don't see how this is ever resolved, just as we always talk about security as being a constantly, you know, a constant battle that you're never going to be able to get over. You know, reading one of the stories about how, you know, all of the uh, various parties from Apple to Samsung, et cetera, Google, they've all, you know, they've all been dealing with patching these things. So whatever we learned about earlier in the week is not necessarily a problem now, but then you've got whatever the next wave is going to be. And, uh, you know, I don't envy the security experts in this country or any of these vendors are having to continually have to keep up with this. I agree. And you know what's interesting is that whenever you're putting out an IoT device or whenever you're putting it out these days they don't even call it that. It's just whenever you're putting out a device, it will be internet enabled. And very rarely are could you imagine the boardroom conversation of, oh, I know you want to get that product out first and I know you want to get it out cheaply. <laughs> uh, can you slow your development down so that we can secure the firmware or mm-hmm. so that we can make it so it's easy to update. There's no way. It's been interesting to me. Uh, the IT, the traditional IT world has gotten on to the, you know, gotten to the point where, okay, I get, you know, we have patch Wednesday or patch Tuesday, but the IOT world, there's no way, there's no way that there is no in- interest. Uh, it's all about getting things out to market quickly. And I think that's one of the major factors here. And so, therefore, anybody can come in who has uh, state funding or even not state funding can come in and start uh, uh, exploiting these devices. That's how we saw the Dyn attack just uh, this past October, right? It brought down DNS and it brought down many services. I think that has – it might have something to do with the Amazon hack that, that happened here a few days ago. Right. It's it's interesting how broad this is getting. When you mentioned yeah. you know, the discussion in the boardroom – that boardroom could be at almost any company these days as, as people are building products that are becoming connected and intelligent, right? It's not just Absolutely. technology products now. So are you starting to see a growing appetite among companies that maybe didn't used to hire real cutting edge technical skills or security skills now thinking that they need some of those skills on board? Absolutely, because they've realized that on some level they've got to have business continuity. They have to create uh, what my uh, friend Patrick Lane uh, has told me about, uh, you know, resilient networks. And I think it comes down to, yeah, yeah. So yes, I, I, I would argue that it comes down to making sure that you have skills so that your team can pivot, can you know, react to these uh, attacks more quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, we're seeing you know companies are creating whole new staff areas devoted to obviously uh, digital transformation and it would seem to me that part of that is going to have to be um, highly skilled and very evolved for in terms of uh, what is going on today security experts that work in hand in hand with the digitization many of these companies are going through mm-hmm. they're going to have to uh, you've got to focus on the software development life cycle to create this stuff properly you know what the other thing you have to do is you have to uh, worry about it you have to get a team together whether it be cloud based as a service based or or your own internal team so that they can respond to what happens when these iot devices go wrong it's been interesting to see on some level 
those two different dynamics and how they're affecting uh, the employment space. I can't help but think as you're talking about all of this, uh, you know, how do we get there? And that, that starts to get to the core discussion that we were going to have today that Carolyn and I started last week. And I think this will be one discussion that we probably continue to have on the podcast here going forward around educating people and, and building the skills. And I think we need many different levels of skills. Obviously, we need those technical specialists and we need many more of those as many different types of industries are looking for them. But then we just need the general population to understand more. As you're talking about a device that has firmware and it's running an application and any one of these areas in the stack could be compromised, how many people out there understand what a stack is or or how it all works together? And if they're bringing in a smart TV or an Amazon Echo, so much of it is abstracted away and they, they don't understand what some of the risks could be or you know what some of the functionality might be if we're thinking about the positive side. So what do you think about tech education? I mean, just at a real high level, what are some of the things that you see that are maybe the gaps that we really need to start closing to get people understanding how society is wired today? You know, I think you've set the stage very nicely because uh, a lot of lately I've been talking to a lot of CISOs, uh, a lot of CIOs, and they'll say, you know, our two major issues have to do with applications running at layer two of the iOS IRM and maybe layer one, uh, layer two, maybe layer three, and then layer seven. And, and, And I know I've just gotten really technical all of a sudden, but think of it this way. These people, the only way that you can get a handle on these IoT-type issues is to boil away any vendor-specific spe- uh, vendor implementations and, and get right down into the protocols, get right down into uh, abstracting this. That way you can then handle all these millions and billions of IoT devices in your life and manage them in a sane and very rational and very logical way. But uh, James, to Seth's point, how do and you were quite technical there, and I and I and I believe that that's exactly what needs to happen at a high level. But from an education standpoint, and we're talking about you know re- just regular people um, with limited levels of literacy in these areas, how do we boil this down into something that is digestible and that people can understand? And I'm when I say people, I'm talking from the earliest stages of education. I think sure. kids need to start learning this, um, and I, I think. I'm sure you know that that's a progression in a curriculum that I don't believe exists today. Um, not not in most school systems, and even into colleges. So how do we, you know, as a former journalist, you know, part of my job used to be take a complicated issue and write it in such a way that anybody who picks up that newspaper can understand the story. You bet. I think the first thing is instead of stampeding into uh, Vendorville, instead of uh, stampeding into a specific implementations or education, you've got to focus on the fundamental building blocks of how uh, computers work today or how integrated systems work today. And you know, we've put together, uh, uh, with the advent of our new uh, CSA Plus certification, we've put together a very nice pathway, education pathway, where we say, look, here at some level is where you, either through experience or through training, 
need to start at fundamentals. You need to start, uh, understand how all of the different uh, hardware today works. And by today's hardware, I'm not even talking mobile phones. I'm talking about the hardware that exists in your uh, in your homes, in your cars, and how that all works together. Uh, and then how it works together with traditional enterprise systems. And you move on through networking. You move on through security. I think it's that kind of leadership that uh, that that the education industry needs to you know kind of listen to and and put together and realize that it's it's really about how these different technologies work and play well together more than how any one vendor puts them together. Is there any one country geography that that you would single out as doing a good job at this over another? And I'm not trying to pit them against one another, but I'm trying to look for sure. a gold I'm trying to look for a gold standard right now. You know, when it comes to some of the countries that, as far as the education perspective, uh, some of the European countries seem to do a very good job of finding ways either through mentor, uh, mentoring uh, kind of relationships and apprenticeships are able to do a really nice job. They're also able to do a pretty nice job in mapping funding to different levels of education. I, I think that works quite well. What's interesting about the, the U.S. model is you don't have that kind of, you know, five-year plan-ish nature of things, but you... Uh, what ha- what seems to happen in the in the U.S. model is that it's much more how do you want to say it decentered. I won't use the word ramshackle, but I will use the word decentered. And it's interesting to see how good students will matriculate through either way. So as far as one gold standard, I don't have one. Uh, it, uh, what I would do is uh, the advice I always give to educators or students going through it is to find out which system works or which approach works best for you, and st- study your heart out when it comes to understanding how um, all these uh, uh, protocols and things work together. Uh, don't, don't worry about the vendors too much. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to watch how things happen at a country level, a national level, um, mm-hmm. and then how they happen at, uh, at a more granular level, uh, you know, a district level. I think both things are going to be very important here because this is moving so fast, uh, and it has moved so fast that, that uh, at a national level, that there's not going to be policies like uh, No Child Left Behind or Common Core that are really going to be able to adequately address this, but they can at least provide the foundation and the platform for individual districts to start doing their own thing. Uh, and and so I think that we'll see more stories of not just you know countries that are leading the way, but individual school systems that are really doing interesting things with their technology, and or maybe there's magnet schools. Uh, I know I saw a story come across this week that CompTIA's chairman of the board, Amy Cardell, was talking about uh, her district in California and some things that they're trying to push through for legislation. So it, it'll be interesting to see. And, and James, I was wondering about your take on the importance of actually incorporating technology into the curriculum so that the kids are using devices yeah. like iPads and Chromebooks and they're they're getting that experience, but also having specific education like you're talking about to teach this is how systems work because even today if they get the devices they're dealing with that abstraction so do you think both things are important how do you think those things should be balanced you know the main thing i think the first first thing is i like the idea of uh, it has to be extremely hands-on and practical in how uh, students are introduced to these uh, uh, how these devices work not from a consumer perspective i think a lot of times we tend to think <laughs> in the world a lot of instructors tend to think hey uh, my students know these devices better than i do how can i teach them how it works you know, and just because students know how to consume stuff in these devices doesn't mean they really understand the technologies on the back end. 
that they really don't understand how all of these things work together. How uh, a gesture, you know, your the the hand gesture that you use when you pinch or, or uh, pinch a screen or when you uh, manipulate a screen, how all that becomes digitized doesn't mean that they understand that. And so the the best education programs are the ones that are going there and say, hey, I'm going to move you from being a consumer of these technologies. And you might be a real hyper consumer. That's terrific. But do you really know how these things are produced? So you move from being a consumer to a producer in a hands-on way. That's that's the most ideal approach. What do you think is you know the biggest obstacle to being able to provide this type of education across the board throughout the country. And, you know, I could say funding, obviously. Um, the new administration will be interesting in terms of its approach to education, and I think they're going to push a lot of the funding back to the states. So individual states may be gung-ho for this type of technology and um, education, and then other states may not fund it at all. And so you may see this inequity in how, um, how we go about teaching kids uh, from a you know, an aggregate across the country. And in fact, that'll be interesting to, to, to see. Are there any other challenges that you foresee in trying to be more holistic in the type of education that we provide? So you're getting the device experience, uh, but you're also learning what's, you know, what's under the covers, how things work, and how they all integrate with one another. I think a lot of the challenges, uh, instructional preparation is a, a major challenge. I think also making sure that curricula uh, is created that is directly derived from industry input. Too often, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been very familiar with the publishing industry, very familiar with how all that works. And uh, the best publishers, the best uh, uh, educators out there will find ways to mainline industry input into the education program. But what, what you often happens, though, is that knowledge becomes very derivative. Uh, it becomes uh, kind of circular, not really specific, and not truly innovative. So the best programs that go in and find a way to talk directly to the subject matter experts and get that wisdom and that knowledge into the education programs are going to be the most, the most useful. I also think that the uh, instructors that get best prepared and, and, and interact the best with actual IT experts Whatever program can show you that, look, our instructors are, you know, day, not daily, but on a regular basis mentored or, and, and are part of the industry itself. I think those are the programs to pay the most attention to. I, I assume a lot of that stuff would translate then as we as we get people out of the education systems and start getting them into the workforce. I, I think yeah. there has to be some change with how people are approaching their skills and their education and how companies are approaching that. And, and how exactly companies think that they're partnering with their workforce uh, or with education systems in order to produce the skills that we want. Because again, we've, we've moved so fast. And so if companies are looking for these cutting edge security skills or if they're looking for data science skills, there aren't candidates coming out of colleges that have all of those skills today. And, and it has to be some mix of getting those candidates, getting some foundational skills, and then doing some of the things you're talking about and partnering and maybe looking at certifications or training or something like that. So how, how do things change once we get into a workforce situation? You know, I, I think the, the way that they change is that you've got to find a way to get a good mentor program as people are transitioning from, say, that educational mode that they've been in uh, and, and to being employees and a lot of uh, you know in a lot of companies it's kind of, it's more sink or swim or or it's more uh, well th we hire the right people so it's okay I think it's a men mentor approach that works really well mentoring within the the actual company themselves or mentoring yes. from the outside okay well 
Well, ideally, ideally, if uh, you know, in a in a proper world, if they, to answer your question way back, uh, the gold standard would be: imagine if you had organizations that were able to reach out to students and say, "Yeah, I've been in this business quite a few years. Here are a few, you know, nuggets. Here's, you know, some interaction with you." That's the that would be the gold standard. Any program that does this, once people get hired, uh, you know, back in the day, it used to be that you stood at the feet of uh, the some sort of operator. That's what they were called, right? That, who had access to the mainframe or what have you. And the question becomes today, what is the best way to onboard, the best way to get people to understand, uh, to mentor newer, you know, entry-level professional people? And, you know, back in the day, it was uh, somebody would, would who had access to this system would, would, you know, take you under his or her wing and, and teach you something. Today, what you need is a more scalable sort of approach to education so that instead of that one person who's, you know, way overworked, you now have an educational program that has kind of instant access to subject matter experts or is really prepared by that, by, by subject matter experts and kind of combines really uh, the best of social media uh, with the best of education. And now you've got a program of, of mentoring uh, you know, almost on a social media basis, where people can very quickly and and uh, teach you certain things, and and as you get into the mix, you can educate yourself and learn about how the company works. The best onboarding programs I've seen, Intel seems to do a good job. There are a couple others, are ways in which here's how you, as a, a new worker, can get up to speed and also start learning more about how our culture works and about how um, uh, how our company culture works. And about how to learn. Yeah, so where do certification? Let's talk about certification since that's what CompTIA uh, does. But you know, how do certifications fit into the mix here? So you've got mentoring and onboarding that happens within a company environment, and then you've got so you've got new employees, and then they want professional development. They want to you know move ahead. What role would you say is, or what is the most important role that the certification or credentialing uh, possibilities uh, give to those people? You know, the best organizations that I've seen, uh, they see certification really as kind of that scalable mentor. Uh, they see the, that the objectives that come out of, in certification, those are created by the industry. They're created by subject matter experts. And so certification itself becomes this way of saying, well, that's the authoritative body of knowledge that you need to become conversant with. And so certification exams aren't so much a, a weeder course or, oh, you have to get certified because it's just a hoop you jump through. It's actually part of the process of saying, hey, here are the professional level standards, best practices, approaches. And certification is the best, uh, the, the cheapest way. It's also the most efficient way. It can even be the funnest way to get people up to the level of knowledge so that they are becoming the most productive workers in their positions they can be. Great. I see it. I see it as a way of, it's basically replacing that that old uh, operator from you know 30 years ago with a scalable. You know, here is the 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 mentor. You know, here's the Obi Wan Kenobi, and it happens to be in the in the, <laughs> in the shape of, of of certifications and the discussions that come out of that and the dialogue that comes out of that. Very good. Well. Um... We've covered a lot of ground here, and I'm sure that we'll uh, continue to cover this ground. I mean, I think that in addition to certifications, in addition to mentoring within an organization, Carolyn kind of mentioned mentoring outside of the organization. I think that'll continue to be a big part of this as people are learning best practices, uh, as things are moving very quickly, as, as they're building their own technical skills they might also join professional societies or, or look for trade associations like ours 
to to help distribute some of this knowledge a little bit more. I, I think it's going to take a lot of different factors to try to close this education gap. Uh, yeah. And you've given us some some really good insight as to how that might how some of that might take place. So, thanks a lot for yes. joining us. Yeah, thanks, James. It's been great. Hope hey, you'll come. So hope you'll come back sometime. Looking forward to it. Take All care, right. you guys. All right, sure. stay dry out there, James. <laughs> sure will. Bye bye. Bye bye.